Welcome to Art Biz Talk, where we speak to visual artists and art professionals about creative entrepreneurship and give you the behind the scenes experience of how they built their art business. Now here is your host, Andrea Lavalor Purvis. Kimberly Babin is an art advisor, curator, and art law specialist. She went to college to become an art therapist, but when her program was canceled, she found herself taking a different direction and chose to study criminal justice with a specialization in art law and crime. With a passion for art as both curator and advocate, she uses her talents to curate and advise private clients and regularly speaks on the evolving legal landscape around NFTs, Web3, crypto, and artist rights. Art law remains an important topic for Kimberly because of its power to combat money laundering and terrorism, protect artists, promote cultural heritage, human rights, and artistic expression. She also hosts a podcast on art crime called Art Law Case Briefs. Now here's my conversation with Kimberly. Hey, Kimberly, welcome to the show. I'd love for you to introduce yourself and tell us where you are now, where maybe you grew up and what your background is in the arts. Okay, hi, thanks for having me on, Andrea. I'm Kimberly Babin, and I'm an art advisor, a curator, uh, a collector, and I specialize in art law and the art market. Um, I'm actually just a couple of hours south of Chicago, and I'm from Bloomington Normal. I grew up here, and um, one of the best things about it is that we have a great community of artists and creatives and a lot of female artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a great community to be a part of. That's really wonderful. And you're so close to Chicago, which has a really beautiful and broad um, art 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 scene and uh, a, a newer uh, um, museum that I'm interested to see in person um, that focuses on Mexican art. Have you seen it oh, yet? Wonderful. I haven't been up there um, probably in a couple months, so but I'm mm-hmm. hoping to go and visit all of the different um, museums and there's a couple new galleries there too I'm interested in. Yes well. I, I love that some galleries are coming back to different pockets of the world um, especially after the pandemic all of us had to really be very virtual so um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have a very broad background and uh, when I read your bio I was like wow she's done so many different interesting things and um, I'm kind of curious how you pull you know, your background in law to also just being a lover of the arts and now curating and working with artists, like how do you bring that into your creative practice? Um, So I would say the arts have always been like a main interest in life, expression, whether it's from um, poetry or writing, painting, dancing, like all of the arts have always been just kind of something I was born interested in. Mm -hmm. Um, And my mom's actually an artist and a painter, so I really Mm -hmm. grew up just admiring her Mm -hmm. um, for her creativity, and that was a big part of my life growing up. Um, Also with literature and reading, she really encouraged that. Um, So that's been a big part of my life. Um, Just growing up, we were immersed in arts. Mm-hmm. And um, and music too. You know, my parents were both huge music fans, so all the, yeah. those different creative um, opportunities really, were really open to me. They had me in dance classes and things like that. So all forms of expression. Um, and then, you know, I had originally started school um, at a 
Heartland Community College here, and I was planning on transferring to ISU. They have this amazing art therapy program. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, that's that right. was, yeah, that was definitely um, my core was like, okay, it's the arts and I can help people through them. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately at that time, ISU um, had cut the program. It was mm -hmm. something uh, that was more seen as being viable in bigger cities, other countries, mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so, but now we're very, very lucky because we have uh, the creative healing arts mm -hmm. and art therapy just started. So I'm volunteering with them, but that organization is launching uh, basically in 2023. And so I'm really excited that they're going to have that as an option in our community as well. That's wonderful. Um, thank you. So with the legal side, law side of things, um, there was a time where I was kind of looking at, you know, what can I do? We don't really have access to art therapy and things like that here. And I got really interested in criminal justice and social justice and legal realms and law and started working mm -hmm. for different um, law offices and legal organizations here, litigation management, things like that. But um, I think my core was still the art. So I was studying criminal justice and then, you know, getting more into legal things and I found art law and mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, this is so amazing. I, mm -hmm. I never heard of it. And, you know, my younger days, high school, things like that. Sure. And it just deals with so many issues in the arts and mm -hmm. artists' rights, uh, cultural heritage, mm -hmm. the protection of that, um, mm -hmm. IP, just, just so many different areas. And I'm like, this is where you can really make a difference um, mm -hmm. anti in the arts and still do both of the things that I love. That's so wonderful that you get to combine your interests and talents now in in what you do with your art curation and um, art advisory business. Um, a couple questions about the the law piece. So when I think about art law, I immediately think copyright law, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is uh, it's it's amazing what what all is involved. I've had a, a couple of experiences um, when I was in the design. Uh, world of dealing with copyright infringement and, and just different uses of images, things like that. But I'm curious how art law um, applies to modern artists and living artists today, right? Because I'm sure that there's a large part of art, art law that really applies to artists that are no longer living. I'm just mm -hmm. curious um, if you can give us a few highlights of what um, living artists are challenged with in art law. Uh, so there's such significant challenges for them, and it's an ongoing issue. And part of the problem is that if you are an artist and you are focused on that creative aspect, um, as I think you should be, mm -hmm. you run into these problems that um, I think should be added into art education, um, mm -hmm. talked about in high school, art level, um, maybe even younger, and then definitely emphasized in college as well, because it's something that a lot of people think will never happen to them, or mm -hmm. I'll never be that big of an artist where it's mm -hmm. an issue, but it is an issue for beginning artists, for mid-level artists, for senior artists, Absolutely. and some of the cases are just shocking, like you never think that, and sometimes it's even, um, friends maybe are like oh we thought we'd put the, your artwork on this thing for our business and mm -hmm. you know it's maybe good intention but it yeah. ends up uh, having quite a price for yes 
Um, I know that there was an article um, in the news in the last few months about uh, well-known artists and a less well-known artist where the, the less known artist uh, seems to have used like their artwork is inspired by the well-known artist and the and that person was being sued um i th i find that super challenging because you know there there is so much um especially in the abstract art world uh the uniqueness of a piece of work um certainly could be questioned i would say yeah. there's a lot of um just aesthetics where there's you know, somebody is inspired by and or it's a derivative of. And I think that's such a challenging thing. Uh, I can't imagine how one would deal with that in in a, in sense of the law. Um, yes. Yeah, so there's a lot of different factors that go into that. One of the factors is jurisdiction. Mm, so right. um, every artist uh, needs to be aware that depending on their country, their state, um, different regulations come into play um, and sometimes they're vastly vastly different and then if you're working with you know maybe two different countries you're gonna have some conflicting information on that and rights and then that's when you see it elevate to the courts mm -hmm. um, and where that court's jurisdiction is and where that case gets decided it's going to be very different and part of uh, the fascinating thing about art law is just seeing the evolution of it over time. So it's yeah. always changing. It always has. Um, but there's very different stipulations as far as is this derivative? Is this a copy? Um, is it just inspired by? And I think that the best advice I could give really any artist is, you know, um, when you're practicing art, you're going to look at lots of sources of inspiration right, lots of right. other artists, but developing your own unique style is going to be the best thing you can do and if anything is in question um just go with your own artwork purely um and you know just thinking about that is going to save you a lot of trouble and mm -hmm. um you know keep you out of a lot of issues i go over so many different cases and art law and a lot of it is very innocent a lot of people aren't meant of I was really inspired by mm -hmm. this artist and that's mm -hmm. great um but one of the things the courts in the United States look at is how different is the artwork yeah is there like a percentage uh or something that is is kind of being used as a reference or is um, it all really subject to interpretation and then like whose interpretation Yes, so um, that's another thing that artists, art attorneys, and the courts dealing with these cases see is that you might be very well versed in art law um, or the arts, but it really comes down to that individual court, the individual mm -hmm. judge, and um, in the United States, they're going to go off of cases that have happened before, but the mm -hmm. court's job and the judge's job is to interpret that so the interpretations can be very different and then we've seen it where you know one thing is decided and then it goes back and gets reversed so um your best bet is to be as original as possible and um think of unique creative ways to show that inspiration yeah very cool well i'm a proponent of um, using contracts when you do you know freelance work or commission work um even if they're 
you know, fa fairly straightforward and simple contracts, but just having a, a written down agreement. Um, at what point do you think, or do you recommend that an artist seeks advice from a, a lawyer who maybe has a specialty in art law um, or similar or contracts even? So um, a, a couple different things. I just wrote an article about this uh, for Azure Arts in New York. And I really stress that importance of contracts because yeah. it's shocking and painful to see artists not have a contract and yes. get burned. Yeah. And a lot of the time artists are scared, hey, I have this opportunity, mm -hmm. I can show my artwork or sell it, different things like that. And they hesitate to mm -hmm. advocate for themselves or request yes. changes to, yes. to contracts. Mm -hmm. And it's so important, and I guarantee you that as an artist, if you are entering any kind of transaction or having an exhibition, your voice should be heard. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes it's hard for artists to advocate for themselves, but think about every other artist. So when you um, are able to be vocal on things that would be fair to you, you're helping out the artist community as a whole. Um Absolutely. I was just actually in conversation with a couple of different um, art friends who, uh, and myself included, where all three of us are currently um, under contract for certain things. And, um, and we were talking about how, well, some of the contracts were a little bit one-sided and very favorable to the organization and not the artist. Mm -hmm. um, and so one one friend uh, redlined a lot of things in their contract. And, and I think he has a lot of experience um, with this as well. But I think especially as women and or younger artists, I find that uh, a lot of us lack confidence to redline or, or give feedback or question a, a particular clause in a contract because we are concerned that we'll lose the opportunity or that if we're going to be too picky, then they're not going to want to work with us. What what would you say to somebody who's facing those kinds of really probably mindset challenges? Um, but, you know, they're also very real, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is such a great topic because it really matters. And so I think um, it's not, you know, it's not just uh, marginalized communities. It's not just females and, and things like that. A lot of people are hesitant mm -hmm. of legal issues completely. They say, I you know, fully I, agree. I understand. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's scary. It's scary. Um, yeah. yeah. But I would say if you are not getting what you want out of a contract, Mm -hmm. then it is not actually an opportunity and it's mm -hmm. not an opportunity for you as an artist. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I worked with nonprofits. I've worked with several different organizations and as a curator and as someone in administration in those places, I totally encourage you to do it. I would never have said, oh my gosh, this person is difficult to work with. I'd say, mm -hmm. great. They are advocating for themselves. They're professional. Mm -hmm. They know what they want. They understand mm -hmm. this. And, um, you know, I would encourage anybody that worked with an organization, we want them to feel as comfortable as possible. So right. that contract really outlines that. 
Yeah. And, um, you know, so resolves problems from the beginning before they arise. Uh, it gives clarity to both parties. Mm -hmm. And I think um, if you can make a, a build a relationship with a, an, a lawyer, especially one that has maybe a specialty in art law, depending on what type of work you do, if you do a lot of public art, you might want to focus on uh, an experienced lawyer within the arts. Um, I think having a relationship so that you can potentially run a contract by them, I think the expense of it is actually not that much, uh, or, or it's less than we think, um, mm -hmm. you know, and also when you're, if you're in control of the budget and you can bid the project, I would certainly put um, a line item in there for uh, contract reviews and hold, you know, a few hundred or a couple of thousand dollars for that when it's a larger multi-thousand dollar project. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, and I know that the law doesn't seem accessible to a lot of people, but there are some great organizations out there for artists like mm -hmm. Lawyers for the Arts. Um, there's different versions of that in many other countries as well. Okay. If you do not have a local chapter, if you're from a smaller town, things like that, you can still contact them um, and reach out to, to them as well, or maybe seek, you know, an attorney that's local to put you mm -hmm. in touch with somebody that they recommend um, mm -hmm. in a bigger city. Okay. Well, I guess the lesson is it's important to ask questions and stand up for your, for what you believe in and, and your rights as an, as a creator, right? Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Okay, I want to move on to talking about your art curation and advisory practice. Um, with with um, all of your experience, I'm just so curious what prompted you to start um, a creative practice around helping artists? Um, are you building collections for private clients or organizations? What's what, Where do you start? Um, so this started, um, I started it just earlier this year, and it was something that was still that inner core drive to help artists um, in a variety of ways. And I think that we've gotten into so many different things. I never imagined this when it launched, um, but we have worked with several different collectors, several different artists, um, different institutions. And then part of what we're really focusing on bringing in this year is going to be education, um, seminars and talks, things like that mm -hmm. from different photographers, artists, art attorneys, um, not only curators as well, but digital curators, mm -hmm. um, just a, a ton of different things, art activists. Um, so that is probably the core mission right now is mm -hmm. um, just education, mm -hmm. but I've been so fortunate to work with so many organizations and individuals that it's really actually increased my own knowledge of things rapidly. That's amazing. And is that, do you focus then locally for in-person um, education or do you offer anything online that other artists from around the world could participate in? So we actually mainly will do probably online um, things just because that gives accessibility to people all over the country, all over the world. Um, and that's really, I think, um, is a great form of education as when you're pulling in people from other cultures, other experiences, mm -hmm. and, and working with their schemas as well, because getting that feedback or different questions has been, I, I mean, eye-opening on a personal level as well. Right. 
That's so fantastic. So when you build collections with um, with uh, private collectors and, and organizations, what kind of artists are you looking for? Um, do you have a kind of a pool of artists that you uh, tend to reach out to, or do you look every time that you're building a new collection? So it's really individualized to the client um, or organization I'm working with. Um, and it's also become interesting because originally I thought that we would just be focused on physical art, classic art, traditional art, um, modern art, but you know, we've had a lot of people come to us with questions about um, the digitalization of our NFTs. Um, so really we're, we're working in everything and it comes down to the individual client um, or institution and what they're looking for. Um, one of our collectors is very into Picasso and mm -hmm. um, tra traditional um, artworks and has a massive collection that's being shown in Fort Collins, uh, Colorado right now. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have, you know, advisement going on with augmented reality institutions, um, anime and animation studios, and then um, people that uh, specialize in NFTs and digital mm -hmm. art as well. Yeah, we, I've just been talking to several artists about that. So several episodes before and after yours are discussing exactly that NFTs, the metaverse, how can uh, what what we, I would call a traditional artist who's a painter, printmaker, sculptor, um, how could they uh, leverage NFTs or digital art and, and kind of consider that as an option for this coming year. Um, I know you gave a talk on it at Art Basel a few weeks ago. Um, please tell us what interests you about it and, and uh, how an artist could kind of start. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I originally was probably a little hesitant as well when I first heard of it. You know, I'm the type of person that likes books and records and, and physical things. So mm -hmm. wrapping my mind around it um, and its value um, was something that, you know, I really had to look at. And I think the whole world was looking at when people made his $69 million of an NFT. So um, <laughs> I, um, part of why it became really important to me is because we had a local arts festival that was physical and you know brought 20,000 people to it had over 100 artists and we had to find a way to digitalize that and make mm -hmm. it accessible online um, mm -hmm. with the musicians artists every part of that because that was serving our community so that kind of made me think hey you know maybe there is some real value to having digital art and then as I've gone deeper into cultural heritage protection there are a lot of um, people that are thinking NFTs and blockchain can be useful for protecting, preserving, and documenting mm -hmm. cultural heritage. And mm -hmm. I think like we're seeing in Ukraine so much destruction of artwork and cultural institutions and artworks that having something where, you know, if the server is literally blown up, do we have other means of tracking all of that that artwork so that's where I really got interested in yeah. the power of good 
That, that to me is also very fascinating. I love using technology to manage my life and my creative practice. And so naturally having an art inventory manager um, is super important. And I think there, there's some great products out there and they're improving, you know, especially with the ability to incorporate um, directly into your own website. But also I was just talking to an artist about potentially leveraging the blockchain to create a, a certificate of authenticity, which mm -hmm. typically is done in paper format or, or PDF um, with the sale. So I think there's a lot of interesting things happening. How do you expect the art world will be impacted by both NFTs and the metaverse in the coming years? So I think that, you know, they're already here and, um, you know, we see a lot of different corporations and things like that getting onto that, which is a telltale sign that it's going to be a part of our lives. Mm -hmm. um, for the next few years, um, I think that the crypto market is one thing, the mm -hmm. businesses are another thing, and then the actual technology, the black blockchain technology is a total separate entity. So when we see um, maybe you know, in the news, there's been fraudulent yes. companies, but yes. those are very different than talking about the actual potentially great uses yes. for the technology. So I think in the next few years, um, there will be a movement, just like we've seen a movement for um, repatriating different artworks mm -hmm. across the world and re restitution with those artworks, we, we may see this being, hey, we, we can really actually use this yeah. for the world's cultural heritage, the, the actual technology of, of documenting and authenticating this on something that should, you know, technically should be forever. Right. And then also probably better checks and balances um, so that things uh, don't go sideways like we've seen in the news recently. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, that was um, some of those corporations are more financial institutions yeah. um, rather than, you know, arts or Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. what, what I'm kind of interested in um, as a collect from the collector's perspective is how NFTs are being displayed, right? Because if you have access to an NFT, you have to be connected to the web or a digital, uh, it has to be a digital presentation. And so much of it I think of as right now is being rather temporary. And, and, and I'd love to see how, um, potentially new displays are being made so that somebody could see it in a gallery or in a home or even in a, um, uh, probably easier to see at like uh, a shopping center or an airport where there's already big screens everywhere. And I think NFTs could be leveraged there, but do you have, have you seen something interesting, especially at Art Basel? Unfortunately, I missed it uh, this year, but hope to see next year. I I'm really curious. Uh, yeah, there were so many different amazing displays there um, that utilize different technology put, to put them on screens or maybe um, like immersive 3D type versions of it. Mm -hmm. There's also a mass of different startups that have been probably coming out in 2020, 2018 um, that are platforms for this. Um, one of them I just found recently that I'm a huge fan of is Loop, and Loop is actually on different TVs, it's included, so you can go there, you can display your NFTs there, um, but one of the cool things for artists is you can sell prints and artwork through it, people can mm -hmm. just 
Luke, I'll have to check it mm -hmm. out. Yeah, it's very cool. But there's a ton of different startups that are, are kind of solving these problems. I just got a link um, from a photographer slash videographer who created a very immersive experience in AR. And I feel like there might be a kind of a parallel happening between AR, the AR world and this immersive experience and potentially NFTs. I'm kind of curious where that might go. Um, absolutely. So I'm currently the artist community manager for Planet XR, which is a startup in uh, art tech. And basically, uh, we're on onboarding artists right now um, who have maybe never experimented in this, but it's through a very easy app. And I think it's cool because it's a way that a traditional artist can upload their artwork and reach mm -hmm. people that are, you know, into technology and augmented reality. Um, and it's a very fun way too. So I think, you know, technology is going forward really fast. And I think it's just an opportunity for any artist to show their work in a new way. Okay, well, I will pop a link uh, to that uh, website or application in the show notes. That sounds super interesting for any of you artists who wants to get started. Um, so what other creative mediums really do you, do you think lends itself to creating uh, digital, di the, like anything for the digital world? Um, obviously, in, uh, somebody who's maybe a graphic designer or an illustrator or a straight up digital artist that works directly um, in software that lends itself. But what about somebody who's like a fiber artist or a, a metal sculptor like myself, a painter? How could we potentially take a scan or a photograph or a video and, and bring that into digital? What have you seen that's interesting? So I think something that probably everyone is familiar with is like the immersive experience of Van Gogh and things like that that are very popular right now. Um, so what's really interesting to me is taking those mediums and then mixing them up for a new experience and kind of reviving um, those artists in a, a new way. Uh, one of my friends, he's a photographer, Rashad Taylor, and he works in tin types. So one of the oldest forms of photography yes. actually has NFTs. Available I heard about this. Yeah. Maybe it was from, maybe, did you post an article about this? I I might have shared okay. something. I think he's going to be one of our speakers. Oh, year, very too. cool. Very cool. That that sounds so interesting. I, I had another artist friend introduce me to a photographer who's doing some incredible things with NFTs. And I just, that blows my mind. I just don't even have time to think about getting into that world at the moment, but uh, I find it fascinating. Um, so from an art collector's perspective, what value do you see NFTs playing in their collection, especially if they already have what we're now calling kind of a traditional collection, right? Um, do you see, because um, from what I'm hearing, uh, just speaking with other artists, the type of person who might collect an NFT is a completely different audience than um, an art collector of traditional art. Um, one artist I recently spoke to said that some of their um, NFT uh, collectors have now purchased original artwork from, from her. Um, but I'm kind of curious if you're seeing people collecting purely digital or having a little bit of both. So I've 
I've seen it be polarizing, which I think any new technology can be very scary for some people. And mm -hmm. so um, it's unfortunate that it is so polarizing. And I think NFTs and digital arts um, and like AI um, have been very uh, villainized a lot of the times. But I think as with anything in our world, there's going to be people with good intentions who will use this for good yeah. and maybe not so good uses. Um, so I really think that um, there's a great balance and, and great opportunity because like you're saying, a collector that's just NFTs might say, gosh, I really like this. Like, I really actually want the sculpture, the metal sculpture of it, and then become a collector. And I think as time goes on, we're just going to see kind of a, a merge of that. Um, you know, we we don't see a lot of collectors that are saying, I only collect sculpture. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they might be interested in paintings and things like that too. And I think as time goes on, we're just going to see, you know, it just be another form of art. Right. Art to mm -hmm. I think there's just this really great um, opportunity for an intersection of mediums where, for example, a three-dimensional sculpture can be scanned with a, with a, with a smartphone and could trigger an AR experience or, you know, run over to um, an NFT experience. Um, and really just the NFT is the asset type, right? But it could be a moving video or some other immersive or explosive kind of um, sister art piece to the original piece. I think there's going to be some cool things happening. I'm excited to watch the space. Me too, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk to you about something you, you spoke about at the beginning of our conversation, and that was around arts advocacy. I love that you are advocating for artists and artists' rights and also cultural heritage. And um, I know that you also love to write and you've written about like demystifying how one gets started um, in the arts, um, helping artists in their career. What are you most passionate about and what kind of advice do you give somebody when they're just getting started? So I think that one of the things I'm most passionate about is really um, people seeing their own value. And to me, artists have a voice. They're expressing something from themselves, their schema, their culture. And each of those voices is important and important to be heard. So when we hear artists that maybe don't have a lot of confidence or don't think that their message is going to be understood by others, that's really something that you um, have to be able to be confident on and really judging art, you're going to get people that support you and people that you don't. And that's going to happen with anything in life. Mm -hmm. um, but by putting yourself out there, you're probably inspiring other artists. One of the first um, totally art galleries I showed my artwork in was called Inside Out Art Gallery. And it, that's here local. And that started because so many of us had artworks that we painted for ourselves or hiding in our closets or up in our house that the world had never seen. Mm -hmm. And that took the concept of, no, we're going to put it out there. We're going to put it out there for others to see. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was drinking coffee one day and, you know, I saw my 
first painting that ever sold walking down the street and you know spent my money out and I can <laughs> say yeah it, you've got to put yourself out there and just yes. see what's possible yes that's so wonderful you know I can relate to that um I had a fantastic opportunity as a very young artist in, I think, the year 2000. Um, one of the first uh, exhibits uh, at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts called Foot in the Door. And they gave like, uh, the it's a fantastic museum with lots of gallery rooms, right? And they gave one whole gallery room um, to emerging artists, um, young graduates. I was a young um, BFA grad and uh, you know, I can say that I had my work in the MIA, which is so fantastic. And uh, I believe they carried on that show every year for the last 23 years. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's a, such a fantastic opportunity for, um, you know, more, more mature art organizations and uh, um, mature galleries to give young artists an opportunity to get their foot in the door, quote unquote. Yeah, absolutely. I totally think inclusion um, carries over as an important thing in the art world. And we're not just giving artists an opportunity by doing things like that. We're giving our whole culture, the public, an opportunity to see things that they, they Very true. have been exposed to before. Hey, that's, that's a really great perspective. I like that a lot because you never know what might develop out of a show like that. There might be a new um, collector relationship or even an opportunity for um, an artist to get a patron. I don't know if that's still pretty common these days, probably less, but I think there's if there's, um, I think patronage can happen in many different ways, not just um, as a financial support, but also just introductions and relationships and um, kind of helping them move up the ladder or even mentorship. I think that's a yeah, fantastic, absolutely. fantastic option for exposure. All right, um, as we wrap up our conversation, I'm so curious about this podcast that you host around art crimes. Please tell us. Um, so, like I said, I have a background in criminal justice, mm -hmm. and um, I was really fascinated by all of the different art crimes there are out there. It's just not something I really would have thought of. Um, and, and this is beyond theft and like forgery, right? Yes, there are okay. so many different things. Um, I guess one of the cases that made it really important to me is there was an artist who was working with a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. He made a sculpture. It was supposed to help the homeless and raise funds for the homeless community. And it was a beautiful sculpture, but because they didn't have a contract um, that was appropriate, basically currently right now, this sculpture is sitting in the basement of a homeless shelter is falling apart because they didn't put the right um, finances into the material being used. And mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, this is so heartbreaking for both the homeless community, the artists and the institution because if things have been done right from the beginning, mm -hmm. there would still be this sculpture, amazing landmark, I'm sure. Um, that would be helping with a, a serious issue and raising mm -hmm. funds to it to this day. Um, mm -hmm. So just a variety of different things like that. Um, but it's also just fascinating to, to learn about all the different things and maybe how we can prevent them as artists and institutions as well. 
how do you find your subjects for for each of your podcast episodes so there's basically um i was studying art law and i came into um just hearing all of these different cases and then you know talking about what i do mm -hmm. i found all these different cases that people would tell me about or they experienced personally mm -hmm. um so like one of the artists here locally that um, was very well known um his art was sold alongside with a picasso piece so oh. I, I, yes so um, like from a private residence uh, from a, a gallery in Chicago, actually. So, okay. um, and, and his wife, Marlene Greger, was having this exhibition and she said, oh, you're interested in art long crime. Have you heard this story? And, you know, <laughs> I hadn't. So, so just being in this niche ha has had a lot of people, artists, um, come to me and tell me their personal stories yeah. as well. That's so interesting. You know, it actually, it kind of makes me think about... Um, putting your art in trust as a, as a living artist. Um, I don't know why this is treating this thought, but uh, a friend of mine I know has put his work in, in, in a trust so that um, in the eventuality of his death, um, that you know his work can live on and, and that it can serve a purpose and be shown and not be stuck in a basement. Any thoughts on that? Uh, yes, so I'm a long-term long thinker and a legal thinker, and so <laughs> I would advise anyone to do as much as they can, um, you know, to preserve their artwork and what's going to happen with it and where it's going to go, um, and that's definitely something where you can get into estates and trusts, and um, it's a, as important as getting a will. Mm -hmm. so. Yes, totally very important, and of course, um, documenting your artwork uh, and archiving it digitally, super important. Um, even if you sell the work um, that at one point it can be potentially uh, borrowed upon for a retrospective or, or um, a future show that looks back at a historic picture of an artist's life. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, Kimberly, it's been a joy speaking with you. Very interesting. Um, I know we jumped around a lot of different subjects from art law to crime to advocating for artists. I, I love that the, the work that you're doing locally and also for um, artists internationally. So I'd love to keep in touch. Um, I'm going to pop a link in the show notes for um, the application to the company that you're working with now. Uh, and uh, if you're interested as an artist, you should check it out and, and apply to work and check out art tech in general. It's a fascinating subject. So Kimberly, thank you so much. And I look forward to chatting with you again. Thank you. That's a wrap on this episode of Art Biz Talk with Vivid Creative. Please consider subscribing and sharing our podcast with your art friends. If you want to be interviewed on Art Biz Talk, please submit your application in the show notes.